Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Corta Líneas podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, and I'm here today with an incredibly special guest, Luis Cristóvão, here today to discuss the latest in Portuguese football. How are you doing, Luis? Hi, Zach. I'm fine. After a, a big Portuguese win in the under-21 uh, European game last night, so I'm happy. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. You are definitely one of the best known analysts in Portuguese football. Somebody who I've noticed appears on not just Portuguese language, but also English and Spanish language podcasts and radio shows and whatnot. Can you tell us first off just a little bit about your career and uh, how you got to be such a great analyst and journalist? Well, uh, I, I usually say that the the two things that uh, I did when I was young that my mother didn't like or she thought that would have not good consequences on, on my life was to, to watch football and to play uh, football manager or, or championship manager. Today, uh, I realized that uh, all those hours uh, watching football and uh, playing computer were uh, very important to, to what I do. My uh, education is nothing related with sports. Uh, I studied literature in Lisbon, in the Lisbon University. I've worked in different jobs, but mainly uh, around literature, in a bookstore and uh, um, a publishing house. I used to separate things, you know, my work for one side and football like a uh, leisure time. And one day I decided to, to put the, all things together. So... I started uh, writing about uh, football and basketball because I, I also played basketball when I was uh, younger. And uh, I started working in sports, first in uh, marketing and communication. And after that, I had a, a chance to try myself in, uh, in television, analyzing MLS to, to Eurosport was my first TV job. And it all worked out. Today, I, I work in uh, 11 sports uh, with the International League. And Antena um, 1, the national Portuguese radio for the Liga Nosh and uh, the national team. And yes, I, uh, I usually, I'm usually called to, to, to speak also to, to Spain, to Cadena Ser. They are their good friends of mine. Uh, and I try to, to keep them posts about uh, what happens in, in Portugal. So um, it's what I do. Uh, I, like, uh, I like it a lot. And uh, I think that uh, by one side, it's uh, something you, you have to work a lot because, um, well, it's something it's happening and changing every day. And, and you cannot stop thinking that you know everything about uh, football or everything about what's going on. At the same time, I also feel very lucky to, to have these opportunities and, and to be able to, to keep them. I'm curious, you mentioned a lot about championship manager. It's interesting, yeah. I've never played it, but I have played a lot of FIFA and that definitely played a role in my, I guess, becoming obsessed with football. What era of MLS helped you uh, get your big break in the industry? Was it the Beckham or Pirlo or... Which era would you say? No, I, I'm much older than that. <laughs> yes. Well, um, Alexi Lala. To, yes, yes. Because you have to see, when I was a teenager, there was no internet. So <laughs> uh, we, de we depended a lot on television, uh, magazines, newspapers, all that. So my first contact with uh, uh, American uh, soccer was in uh, Italy 90, the, the world championship. Yeah. Well, I remember in 86, I was only seven. 
but the Canadian team uh, with uh, Randy Samuel, that was a uh, um, center back from Canada, was something that I noted like, well, they play football in Canada, so it's, it's nice. And four years later, with the um, United States team, with uh, Eric Vinalda, Tony Mayola, um, all those guys that in 94 were very important for the success of the, the World Cup in, in States, I was very fixed, pay a lot of attention to this kind of smaller countries, smaller football uh, cultures. And uh, in 1990, I, I was grabbed, my attention was grabbed by, by the United States. So I remember in 96, when the MLS started, I was trying to, to get all the information I, I, I could about MLS and about what's, uh, what was happening there thinking that United States had this uh, uh, amazing opportunity to, to build a very big championship and be the, one of the top five championships in the world. I was wrong, or at least for these uh, 25, 26 years, I'm still a bit wrong, but I keep my attention on what happened in, in MLS. And when internet appeared, MLS was probably one of the first leagues to understand the importance of internet and to have a website and to have all the information in the same place. So uh, I used it a lot to, to follow the results, to follow the highlights. When they search for someone who could have this knowledge about uh, MLS, this prior knowledge about MLS, because I... I worked with people that were very experienced talking about football and uh, uh, analyzing football, but with no background on MLS. And that's that was my opportunity because uh, I could speak about MLS. Of course, I... Uh, knew and I knew a lot about NBA and uh, American culture. So my first months talking about soccer were uh, mostly talking about what happened in the cities of each team. So it was it was nice because it was an opportunity also to to join all my interests uh, in one thing. So it was a very good experience for me. It's interesting to hear you talk about you've such a wide range of interests <laughs> from literature to MLS to, um, you know, just such a wide knowledge of, of really history. I've had the privilege of speaking to some higher ups in U.S. soccer, and they really talk about how, you know, their main goal is to make MLS the sixth biggest league yeah. in the world, which is Definitely a tall ambition, shall we say. And it's interesting because, you know, I would argue that Liga Noche is the sixth best league probably in, in, in the world right now. It, at least it's ranked that by the UEFA coefficients. How do you compare, I would say, the, the development and the growth of Liga Noche and MLS? What do you think MLS needs to do to take that next step and become like the sixth biggest league in the world? I think that we're talking about two very different realities because uh, Liga Nosh and Portugal they are ranked in the in sixth place in the in the UEFA ranking mostly because of the talent pool that we have here. I think that's very very important to to make that the difference. So uh, with the talent Port Portugal can create and educate year after year, I think. It's like starting uh, ahead of a lot of other countries and other leagues. And um, starting ahead, we have also the opportunity to have a 
fantastic school of coaches and a technical school that's probably, of course, we have Cristiano Ronaldo, but I think I would argue that probably our technical school is more important for the world of soccer than uh, one player. And those two combined, so I think it's a great advantage that Portugal has. If you look at the business side, we're not that developed. We have still a lot of uh, problems to understand the importance of organizing a league of different teams. Uh, we have a lot of problems to understand that um, the teams and the, the clubs and the presidents, they have to work together. And uh, all those things we can learn from the United States. We can learn from MLS, like uh, organizing a league, try to sell this league to the world. And uh, when I started working on Eurosport uh, with the MLS games, it was in six or seven years ago. And it was that season that MLS was like expanded uh, TV rights for all the worlds because of their uh, work with Eurosport. So they were present in uh, Asia, they were present in Africa, they were present in Europe. And that was very important because at that time it was on cable TV, but you, you didn't have to pay any uh, premium TV money to, to see the, those matches. And it was important to, to get known by, by that. So I think that uh, in the business side, MLS is ahead of Portugal, but the talent pool and the technical school are very important to reach uh, an, an higher level. And I think that's the work it's being done in, in the United States. Uh, if you look at the talented players and talented young players with all the academies that uh, MLS teams have now, I think it's helping a lot to grow that talent pool for the United States football. As the technical school is, is still a problem, I think it's about the culture of the of coaching in in the United States. When you, you when you're talking about uh, the sports that that is already developed, like basketball or uh, American football or baseball, um, of course you have so many people working on that sports that uh, you can like uh, forget uh, a bit of uh, having a school for coaches. But uh, but in in soccer that isn't happening yet, and I think it's needed to to help also the U.S. football. Yeah, very interesting to hear your perspective on both the leagues. Last week, we had Gabriel Amado, who is a Portuguese-American uh, anchor for BN Sports as well as an anchor for uh, Orlando City in MLS. Uh, so very interesting to hear those perspectives. One thing that, that I think personally, uh, as an American, that I think is holding MLS back uh, from becoming on the same level is the lack of promotion and relegation. The fact that there isn't a pyramid system, the fact that it is a closed league, uh, and that's something that all of the top leagues in the world have, and that MLS, for whatever reasons they may have, have, have decided to, to go against. And m moving on, you know, we saw this season um, in Portuguese football, uh, Nacional and Farench going down to the second tier of Portuguese football, whereas Vizela and Storil uh, going up. Great rise for Vizela going back-to-back -back promotions uh, from the third tier all the way up to uh, the first division, um, as well as Storil, who 
um, have had a phenomenal campaign with getting to the semifinals of the Taça de Portugal, as well as their U23 team winning the Taça uh, Rebelação, yeah. I believe. So Yes, the under-23 league here. So Hats uh, off to them. Fantastic yeah. organization. Really excited to see them back in the big leagues. And as for the final two, shall we say, the final two matches of the of the top flight. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a playoff that's... Uh, right. Was better color play out, maybe. <laughs> and I, I believe this was the first time they did this. Is the the debut year? Uh, yes, we we had something like the like this uh, a lot of years ago. We called it uh, Liguilla. It was before the League Two was organized in only one league. We had like a second division with North, Center and South. And all the second places played uh, with uh, one of the Primera Liga teams to to grab that last spot. Uh, like this, like this playoff, I think it's the, the first time we have. Wow. Great to have you on because you, you, are, you are old enough to remember these things. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm old. Value, <laughs> um, So going back to the relegation slash promotion playoff, uh, we saw Aruka take on Hugh Av. Uh, Hugh Av ended up, you know, we'll talk about them later, but uh, Aruka ended up winning 5-0 on aggregate. Before we move on to this team from Vila do Conde, let's talk a little bit about Aruka's achievement. Uh, can you sh- shed some light on this team? Another side, like uh, Vizela, which had back-to-back promotions and that um, are going to be playing in uh, Liga Noche next season. Yes, they they came from the the third year, uh, Vizela and uh, and Aroca, and it, it's a funny story because uh, last season the the third year didn't finish the the season, uh, and uh, both Vizela and Aroca were chosen by the criterion adapted by the Portuguese Federation to to get promotion. So they they didn't earn it on 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 fields. They earned it in the secretary, as we usually say here. They they finished. So we had a lot of different series, and they were the two better first places. But playing different different leagues, it's uh it's like a. NCAA uh, kind of um, work to to choose adapt this criterion to 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 get promoted. That was uh, a bit polemic last last season, but uh, and a lot of people shed some doubts about if they were really the the better equipped teams to to get promoted to uh, uh, League Two. And the proof is. <laughs> They not they're not only good enough to play League Two. They're going to Primera Liga this uh, this season. So I think it's uh, two great stories. Uh, Vizela I think was noted earlier in the season. Also last season they had the the opportunity to play against Benfica in in the Portuguese Cup, and I think that was important to see that. Uh, Alvaro Pacheco, their coach and their team were doing some interesting things and they made a, a, a very good season uh, this time. As for Aroca, five years ago they were in Primera Liga, they went down to League Two, went down to the third tier and now they're coming back also always in consecutive seasons so they don't <laughs> they don't have repetition mode for, for the leagues at Aroca. <laughs> 
Yes, yes. It's a, another great story, but the level of uh, sexiness, it's not so higher than Vizela. And it was impressive to, to watch them beat Riwav uh, because, of course, we know that when we talk about the top five, top, top six teams in the League Two in Portugal, they are probably the same level of the last five in Primeira Liga. Riwav was out of this league, so you didn't expect to see Riwav in the relegation zone. You didn't expect to see them playing this playoff. And of course, it wasn't expected to see them grab a 3-0 uh, defeat in the first match and uh, and then in the in the second one, playing at home, getting two more goals. Aroca is uh, coached by Armando Evangelista. That is also uh, an head coach with uh, some works in uh, uh, Vitoria uh, Guimarães B team and um, also in the in the second league. I think it's the best season of them all for both for the players and for the coach, and I expect them to to fight to and to have a, a real fight to to stay in Premier League next season. It's a it's a small city. It's uh, one of the interior teams in in Portugal, so not of the richest areas in in the country. But uh, they they made it again, so. Great story to, to watch and great story to expect for next season. Out of all the teams that uh, were promoted to the second division over the past week or so, which team do you think or which teams do you think have the best chance of pulling off an Aruca or a Vizela next season? Well, um, we've got Trofense in the north. Trofense is uh, another team that... Uh, as this uh, historical of going up and down, they were in the Premier League uh, some years ago, just one season. They're probably a second league team. Also, a, a funny story: in the the first phase of the championship, they went to the last game in third place. Uh, Lesse and Gondomar were ahead, both one point ahead of Trofense. And um, they both lost their matches and Trofense won. So they got for to the promotion uh, series uh, that they won. So it's uh, another uh, unexpected story. They probably uh, will be in the, the second side of the table. They're not a, a very strong team. As for Estrela da Amadora, <laughs> it's a revamped team. So... The, the Portuguese Fluminense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the colors. The colors are are the same. Uh, Amadora is one of the biggest cities in Portugal, just near Lisbon. Uh, I have a lot of people living there. Estrela da Amadora was a very important team during the nineties and uh, the first decade of the of this century. Uh, they have a lot of financial problems. They went bankrupt. The team stopped their existence for some years. And last season came back to play in something like the eighth division. <laughs> so it's like uh, only a Lisbon championship. But last summer, there was uh, an agreement between uh, Estrela da Amadora, the club, 
and sports society of Sintra that were in the third tier. That sports society, Sintra Football, they were a team with no fans. It was like just a business project that was... Uh, was able to get promoted until this third year. And Estrela Amadora had no money, but they had the fans. So they joined together and uh, they won the South Division of the third year. Probably the, the stronger team. It was more, more competitive, uh, the South Division. In the first phase, they beat Sporting B. So it was very important to them and that show how good team they, they were. And they, they finished the promotion series with the same, same number of points of Touriens. That is my uh, hometown team. So I'm sad. Is that the team you support? Yes, yes, it's my team. So we had we have the same points, but we we lost on the uh, direct confrontation because we lost at home uh, during this uh, this promotion series. But Strela is a very very strong team, and I think that they are going to try to make an Aroca or a Vizela next season. So keep an eye on them. I'm excited to see how they do. Um, as well as the other sides that got promoted. It seems almost like the opposite of what happened with Bailey and H a few years back, you know. With Yes. Did you have any comment on that? <laughs> yes. I think it was like two or three years ago, the Bailey and club and the Estrela da Madura club, they faced each other in this eighth division league. Really? Yes, so I, I'll try to find uh, some images on YouTube because uh, that was fantastic. It was like an eight division game with a lot of people in the stands uh, supporting these two abandoned teams not by, by the, the business side of, of, of sports. This Belenense team is making their way up and uh, I think they're, they're coming to Campeonato of Portugal next season. So it's the fourth year. They're, they're making their, their way. As for Estrela da Madura, they, sent, they, they sold their soul to the devil again. So <laughs> they're going to League Two. <laughs> it's so romantic, I think. The promotion relegation thing, I, I think that um, obviously MLS has its reasons for not wanting um, an open yeah. system. But I think that it just adds so much to football. As the saying goes, uh, sunny days wouldn't be special if it wasn't for rain. Right now, it's raining on Hill Av, a team who has definitely had a, a 180, shall we say, over the past few months. Hill Av finishing in fifth place on the final day of the season to beat out Famali Go uh, to the final Europa League spot, end up playing uh, Milan in the Europa League qualifiers and take them all the way to penalties, one of the craziest penalty shootouts I have ever seen in my entire life, and nearly, nearly got to the Europa League group stage, but just barely lost to Milan on penalties. Still a very good season, though. I believe they broke their points record that they had set three years prior under Miguel Cardoso, a finishing fifth and uh, still qualifying for European competition, albeit not getting to the group stage. But it seemed like they would be like they like they were set for another maybe not a, a top five finish, but a comfortable mid-table squad. You know, when you look at that team, 
Uh, I believe they had the sixth biggest budget in Liga Nosh at the start of the season. I think it was 10 million euros. But clearly, definitely some turmoil in the summer window. Losing Carlos Carvalhal, who had done a fantastic job as manager, and that had preceded that uh, plenty of shakeups and uh, in the managerial section, which eventually uh, ended with Miguel Cardoso. Uh, losing his job after the first leg defeat to Aruca in the in the relegation promotion playoff. Apart from, we'll talk about that the the managerial aspect as well. But looking at the players, we have Amushrati, who uh, was who had joined in January 2020 on loan from Vitoria de Guimarães, that done you know fairly well and left Tioav. Uh, and rather than signing a new contract, Vitoria went to Braga and has been one of the sensations of the Liga Nosh season. And in, for my money, the best player on the pitch in the Tasa de Portugal final. So there's him. There's also uh, Lucas Piazon, who uh, ended up joining Amushrati and Carvalhal at Braga uh, just a few months prior in January, as well as Nuno Santos, who eventually went to Sporting and played a very big role in their title triumph. Uh, so Nuno Santos going uh, to Sporting with Hugh Ab receiving a bit of cash, as well as Francisco Gerald's um, and Jelson Dalla. Um, and finally, without a doubt, in my opinion, the, the biggest departure, Hioab losing Meritaremi, who has gone from strength to strength in Portugal and one of the signings of the summer uh, with Porto since, since joining last summer. And really, that, I think, has, has left such a gaping hole in their attack that they've been unable to replace. Without further ado, let, let's talk about this. To go from qualifying for Europa League football on the final day of the season to getting relegated and not only getting relegated but getting demolished in the relegation playoff by Aruka how did it get to this well uh, you talk about the the players and uh, the head coach that that left uh, Riuav and I think that's important but at the same time Riuav is usually a team that uh, goes uh, after talent and creates value with uh, with them. And if you look at, at the team this season, they had uh, everything they needed to have a very, very good championship again. They had a lot of players that had a lot of experience and they uh, also were able to, to get some younger players that could have brought Riwav to fight for Europe again this uh, this season. If you look only to the value of players, there's no doubt that Riwav is between Pasto de Ferreira or Santa Clara or Vitoria that were in One the day. Europeans in European fights until the, the last day. So I think it's not about the players and it's not about uh, how do you build your uh, your roster in Riwav. I think one of the problems was the head coach choice. So you left Carvalhal go to, to Braga and they, they signed Mario Silva. That, uh, Mario Silva to what was mostly the, his first job uh, as a, a professional manager. Uh, it was a very interesting player in the past. He played for Boa Vista and, uh, and Porto. He had a very important uh, work, uh, youngest teams in, in Porto, uh, being the coach that won the, the Youth League, the UEFA Youth League. 
He then had, had a small spell at uh, in Spain in second division with Almeria, and came back to to Rio Ave, trying to emulate the good work of Carlos Carvalhal. It was a problem also to start the season so soon because of the um, Europa League qualifiers. If you rewatch those games, especially the Besiktas game and then the AC Milan game, you will understand that uh, the choices that drove Rioav to the success in those two matches could not be the way that Rioav would play in the, in the league. And this was a problem from the start. So Rioav playing a very defensive, reactive game in Turkey, and then against uh, AC Milan. And the Rioav identity in Portugal was totally, completely different. Uh, Mario Silva also was known for being more of an offensive kind of head coach. And they had a lot of troubles to keep these two lines attached. You know, uh, they were very good in Europe, but they lacked this offensive quality in the, in the Portuguese league. And so the results uh, starting going bad, But still, it was very unexpected to see Rioav going relegated this season. Uh, after Mario Silva left, they tried to put Pedro Cunha, that was their under-23 head coach, on the job. That didn't work too. And they, they went with Miguel Cardoso. It was like a coming back to a place where we were, you were happy sometime, one day. Yeah. But Miguel Cardoso is probably the wrong choice to when you have to put energy and uh, save a team from their own ghosts. So it all went very, very bad. You, you start seeing some players publicly questioning the decisions of the, the head coach. Fabio Coentrão did it and Fabio Coentrão is like... Uh, Champions League winner. Champions League winner, yes. Uh, uh, international player with Portugal. And when you have this, this guy questioning the decisions of the, the head coach, you, you understand that there's something very wrong uh, inside the, the club. And so it's totally unexpected to see Rioav playing in the, in the second league because they were very solid these last 10 seasons in, in first league. They were really a team that was able to, to keep their uh, place in the top eight of the, the Portuguese league. But this also shows that when you're playing in a league with promotion uh, relegation, everything is very, very unsure. So one bad season can ruin uh, a project. Uh, as you know, they were rebuilding part of their stadium. Today, they announced that probably... This rebuild will stop because next season it will be uh, economically for Rioav very, very difficult. You will lose a lot of TV money that was important for the team. They have also to rebuild their roster because they had a lot of players that you look at them, you look at players like uh, Borevkovic, uh, Aderlan Sant, uh, uh, Guga, Geralt, Filipe Augusto, Pelé. Uh, Jason Dahl, Carlos Manet, they're all players of uh, Primeira Liga. They're all players with market. So all these players, they earn a lot of money. So it's pretty impossible to keep them in, in League Two. So it will be like a reset and start from zero for, uh, for Rioav. Uh, they have also to learn with their mistakes and mistakes were made. It was not only the lack of luck, 
for me, having Rio Ave in, in League Two, it's like having a, a big team in the... It's like having Everton in the, the league. championship almost. Yes, yes, something like that. Um, so let's see if they, they can adapt quick to the, this different reality and they came back to Premier League because I think it has, that's in Premier League the, their place. Yeah, people who, who don't regularly follow Primera Liga need to realize Hilav, not only were they not expected to fight relegation despite the departures of all their stars, they are regularly challenging for European football. That's been the case for the past few years. You know, they are maybe not that close to, to a Braga, but that they are on that same pedestal as, you know, a Victoria de Guimaraes, yeah. uh, a Morirense, so on and so on. This is an absolute shock. Uh, you mentioned some players uh, such as Felipe Agust, uh, Pele, uh, Guga, players who may or may not stay. I want to hear some some possible fits that you might think that, that might work, uh, either in Portugal's top flight or abroad. Uh, some players that you think could get uh, big moves and uh, be, you know, rescued. Um, and as well as a, an interesting rumor that I saw uh, from Record today of Carlos Mane, a player who only has uh, one year left on his contract, widely expected to leave Joab this summer. They are saying that he may go back to sporting um, and compete with Pedro Poro for the right wing back spot. Uh, it seems like Juben Amorim's number one priority for that position is to not only sign Poro on a permanent deal for Manchester City, but to bring in Ricardo Escaio from Braga and, and you know be reunited. But it does seem like Escaio would cost even more than, than what it's rumored to bring in Poro. So I personally don't think they are going to end up signing Escaio. As I just think he'd, he'd be too expensive for a player who, who isn't guaranteed a starting spot and who's you know, somewhat old. I think that Carlos Mane would be a really interesting move for that right wing back spot. So talk to me about your thoughts on Mane's potential move to Sporting as well as some other fits that you think could happen from Huab's relegated squad. Yes, Mane and Sporting is... Uh... Is a topic that was already known for for some time. Uh, Sporting is uh, trying to to find some players in the in the Portuguese league to reinforce their their squads. It's important to Sporting to have these kind of players that already know the league. You saw Ruben Amorim trying to profit from experience in in this kind kind of players. Ricardo Gaio, it's one player that. I think is very near of uh, international level. He hasn't any any call to, to the Portuguese team because there's a lot of good players for the same position. And I think it will it would be the perfect fit for for Sporting. As for as for Carlos Mané playing on the on the right side, it would have to involve some adaptation work. It would be very interesting to to see if he was able to, to keep with Governor Mourinho's ideas. But um, I like this uh, this opportunity. I like I like to to imagine this possibility of having Mane playing in Sporting as uh, the the right side uh, winger. Uh, other players that I see having uh, place in the in the first league, I would say that uh, a player like uh, Filipe Augusto. A player like Adelan Santos, 
they are both perfect fits for mid-table teams. They both can be playing in the Premier League with no problems. Two ex-Valencia players, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, yes, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and there are other players that they, I think they have market both in Portugal and outside. Pele, he played uh, in, the, in the English Championship. Uh, Gerald was in Germany and I think is a player who has qualities to, to have one uh, opportunity in a foreign league. And players like Guga also, or Jelson Dowlett, they can be called to, to play at this level. Uh, if you look at the Hiwav squad, uh, there's other young, uh, younger players that uh, probably would have also this uh, place in Primera Liga. But I think like players like Nelson Montes uh, or Pedro Amaral, also Gabriel Zinho, uh, Meshino, they will be very important to to Hiwaf to to stay in the team and to help the team get promoted. Even if I see this squad being totally revamped with a new coach and also uh, other options that are able to to get promotion for for the team. But of course, in this precise moment, all the 18 Premier League teams are looking at Hiwav and trying to think or imagine if they can grab some talent from a relegated team that was unexpected to be in League Two. Yeah, I mean, this is a very talented Hiwav side. And there's plenty of players who will be available on cheap deals. I know that there was a report, I think I saw that some Hiwav officials believe that they actually won't be relegated due to other teams having financial difficulties and as such they will end up staying. Do you think there's any any truth to that or, or not at all? This season, I, I sincerely, I don't see which team would be in danger to, to get relegated by financial problems. Uh, of course, during all the seasons, we heard about some problems here, here or there, but I think that that wouldn't be the case. And so Hiwavi would not get lucky to, to have his place saved during the summer, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens. Do you think do you think they'll bounce immediately back up or do you expect them to have some difficulties um, adapting to the second tier? Well, it's not easy to make that kind of effort when you don't know which head coach or which players w would get. But for one thing I'm sure, they will search for a very experienced uh, head coach, probably someone with experience getting promoted in Primera Liga. And I think that would be the first move to, to do. And after that, I'm expecting to see Hiwav with a very experienced team, probably searching some players that got promoted during these last four or five seasons too, getting one or two players that that are in Primera Liga but will be happy enough to play for Hiwav in the League 2 and trying to be champions. And if that happens, I think Hiwav will bounce back this season because they're too strong. Then they have enough money and enough conditions to get this promotion back. The problem is if they fail again. If they fail, and we saw that with other teams like uh, Academica or Chaves or Ferenc, if you fail this first season, after that, it's very difficult. So it's one season or probably four or five seasons to get back. So exactly. uh, 
I, I see them making good choices now once they, they got relegated, but let's see. That's No, that's a fantastic point that you brought up. I think there will be an exodus, and I think that the biggest thing that they need to focus on in the transfer market is just finding that center forward. Because to go from Carlos Vinicius, you know, in who they brought on loan in the 2018-19 season to Meritaremi, who, of course, was a revelation in his first season in Portugal before joining Porto, to um, what, Junior Brandao, like, nice. I, I, I'm not saying that center forward's the only reason they got relegated, but it's definitely, I think, one of the biggest reasons. You just need a player who's going to win you those points that you, you know, win the, those tight encounters. And, and that will, yeah. So I think that definitely needs to be the biggest priority for them. Yes. So, they, they had some injury problems this season too. And they, Bruno Moreira left. And Bruno Moreira, I think, was expected to be their main target in front. André Pereira was injured. Jelson Dalla isn't uh, a striker. Between those three, they had problems to, to find someone who, who could score. Uh, definitely Junior Brandão isn't uh, the kind of player that would be the the new Taremi. So they really need this uh, striker to next season. But we see this a lot of times, that is these kind of teams that go down. And after that, they try to focus uh, not in players to the future, but in players that are very experienced in League Two. Because it's like uh, you're talking about a characteristic that is specific for this league and to get promoted. So I'm waiting to see which kind of players they, they're going after. But I, I think you, you'll see like four or five very experienced guys playing for Rewav in League Two. The kind of players that wouldn't have that chance if Rewav uh, kept the, his, uh, his place in the Premier League. Yeah, I agree. I think that experienced players, for the most part, I think they'll manage to keep some key players like Paolo Kiasek and Tarantini, the captain. And and I do think that they will try to find those players with experience of getting up. But I also think that mining around, fishing around for some players from Benfica, Braga, Sporting Porto, who aren't getting much game time. You know, I don't I don't know if they'd be able to attract like a Gonzalo Hamos. But, like, I think there are a lot of talented players on the fringes of their first team who might be better off cutting their teeth in the segunda than spending another time just waiting for, for an opportunity on the first team. So, we'll see. Uh, finishing up with the section on Hio Av, I want to talk about Miguel Cardoso, though, because Cardoso, not long ago that he seemed like one of the up-and-coming coaches of Portuguese football alongside, you know, likes of Pedro Martins and Paulo Fonseca and, you know, got them to what was previously their best ever points total, getting, I believe, fifth place and getting a lot of hype as a young, promising manager. But has had a really tough time abroad in, in teams such as AK, Athens, Nantes, Celta Vigo, I may be missing one or two teams, but so we saw Cardoso return to Portugal, return to Huav, where it all really started for him, and of course fail to keep them up and eventually being dismissed after the first leg defeat against Aruca. Where does where does Cardoso go now? And how did it get like this for him? Because it seems like just yesterday he was he really seemed like one of those 
you know, young, promising Portuguese managers who was set to, you know, establish himself both in Portugal as well as abroad. It's, it's hard because you, you look at Miguel Cardoso's career and he was during more than 10 seasons. He was an assistant coach. He worked also at Shakhtar as a technical coordinator for the, the youth team. And uh, he made just one season in the professional uh, leagues that was successful. <laughs> Sorry. He's 49 years old, so he's not that young too. A bit, a bit older than you, just by one or two years. Yes, yeah. No, more. He's more. <laughs> I'm 42, so... <laughs> not that um, And I think that he had a, really a fantastic season in Rioav in 17-18, but... He had a lot of problems to be understood in Nantes, in France. He, I think he was not ready to, to make that move to uh, Ligue 1, and that was bad for him. After that, he went to Celta Vigo in this, of course, not ready to Spanish La Liga. And all these uh, went after him, I think, during this last, uh, last season in Rioave, because... The first season in Villa do Conte, he had shown like this kind of uh, inspirational football that uh, trying to have a lot of possession, trying to make some uh, juego de posición, like this kind of stuff. And of course, these things are very, very helpful to, to make a, a marketing image of coach. But if you try to understand during a bigger time uh, how that can work, I, I think it it was hard to watch where he was going. And so to be a successful coach, you have to be uh, very, very good in uh, managing your emotions and managing uh, your relations and uh, trying to forge some empathy with the group. I'm not sure if he's strong enough with these kind of uh, topics. And of course, uh, getting relegated with Rioav after these bad jobs in Spain and uh, France and also Greece, it's a problem that he, he has to rebuild him, himself to. Uh, let's see where, because this coming back to Rioav was already a consequence of not having a good propositions to, to continue um, in, in other leagues. So uh, I don't see a very bright future to Miguel Cardoso's career. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. But yeah, we'll see what happens with Joav. Definitely keep an eye on them. And yeah, the Segunda is not an easy league. No, no second here is an easy league to go straight back up. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I want to move on now uh, from Huav to Portugal's U21 uh, side, a team that I have enjoyed so much watching over the past few years. And it, it seems like in many ways this is sort of their last dance together. They, you know, they've won the U17 Euros in 2016. They won the U19 Euros in 2018, uh, actually beating Italy 4-3 to three, uh, in the final in extra time. And we had um, very similar vibes uh, yesterday in, in the capital city of Ljubljana in Slovenia with Portugal facing off against Italy. Uh, many of the same players who, who, who were on both sides um, appearing appearing in the quarterfinals matchup. And Portugal, it looked like they had this game sealed, but Italy stormed back and forced extra time. They 
only a few seconds into to extra time and Matteo Lovato was sent off and that you know gave definitely gave the incentive for Portugal but it was still fairly tough for them to break through eventually they end up winning 5-3 though just an insane game I think just you know it was an absolute joy to watch this from both teams both teams putting in a massive effort but now Portugal set to face off against Spain in the semifinals on Thursday, uh, whereas um, Germany are taking on the Netherlands, I believe. Uh, so very interesting. See what happens. Uh, let's let's dive into this game. What did what did you make of it? Well, uh, it was a crazy game because uh, we saw Portugal uh, getting in very very strong. Uh, a fantastic goal by Danny Mota, um, making the, the the first and the second also by him, um, showing that he's really a, a very decent striker, even if he, in Monza he, he also plays a, as a winger, but in the Portuguese under-21, is like the, the goal scorer, the man in the area, so... I really liked what he brings to to the team. Going 2-0 uh, so soon, I thought that Portugal had it. But in this in this level, you you have to see that all teams are very very good. We have seen earlier in the afternoon Spain having a lot of difficulties to to beat Croatia. France, that was expected to be the the winner of the the championship, losing to to the Netherlands. So, no match is uh, closed before the referee whistles, and uh, and that was the case for for Portugal, uh, an Italian team that clearly isn't so strong as the Portuguese team, but they were. Very, very interesting trying to to get back to the game. And Portugal showing probably in some periods a lack of ability to to control the match and to to keep the match frozen, uh, I think. After the the 90 minutes going to overtime, we, we saw how good also the Portuguese bench was because you were able to get in with uh, Florentino, Romário Baró, Rafa, Leão, Jota, Chico Conceição. There were so, so many, many players in the bench that uh, really helped Portugal. There, I think that was uh, also very important to, to Rui Jorge, this uh, uh, ability to understand where the match was going and where he could probably have some difference uh, added to the, to the team. And really, Jota and Francisco Conceição, they are two genius with the ball, so it was also very important for them to, to score. And let's see what happens. Spanish team is uh, also a very, very good team. He's uh, also a very experienced team. It's hard for me to, to say which one is better, if, if Portugal or Spain. But I think we'll have a, a, a very good game because it's, uh, it's amazing. Like uh, you have uh, João Félix, you have Pedro Gonçalves, you have Nuno Mendes, that they have the age to play this under-21 championship. And even without those three, 
you have 20 fantastic players playing in the championship. So it's amazing how we can still have this much talent to, to play uh, at this level. And it's uh, renewing year after year. There are new players that are able to help Portugal win titles uh, in this kind of uh, championships. Yeah, you mentioned Nuno Mensch, João Felix, as well as Pedro Gonçalves, all players who are eligible but are with the senior team for the Euros. And as well as, you know, Francisco Trincao and Thierry Correa missing out due to COVID-19. Yes. Some controversial exclusions with Rubin Vinagre, who's done very well at Famalicão since arriving on loan. Gonzalo Inácio, been a starter for the best defense in Europe's top 10 leagues, didn't even make the squad. Um, as well as players such as Tomas Ribeiro, who has done fairly well in the center of defense foot Belen Inch. So it's just incredible to see the depth that uh, that Hui George has uh, to his disposal. Personally, I think that uh, Inacio and Vinagre deserved to be called up. But, you know, if, if, if Portugal end up winning this tournament, you, you can't really fault Hui George for any of these choices. Uh, Dani Mota, very interesting uh, player, You know, born in Luxembourg, two Portuguese immigrants began his career in Luxembourg before joining, I believe, Virtus Montella and, you know, making his way up through Italy's lower tiers, eventually joining uh, Juventus, spending a season with Juventus's U23 side and then joining Monza, who just barely failed to uh, achieve promotion to the top flight. And he scored a brace and, you know, another fantastic performance from Mota. I wonder if, if a, one of Portugal's bigger teams decide to bring him for his first spell in, in Portugal at the club level because he's doing fairly well. And I, I just can't help but thinking that, you know, him in a Braga potentially or a Vitoria de Guimarães would be a great move. I think he's, he's too expensive for that by, you think by so? now. Yes, yeah, yes. for Braga, really. Yes, I think so. I think so because he's making Serie A and uh, he played a lot of games with Monza. So he's, he's uh, not a key player probably, but a very important player in the team. And I imagine that Monza doesn't want to sell him. So is this kind of this kind of player that uh, probably the Portuguese teams missed him at some point? And it's very hard to to go back and get him in the in Primera Liga if only like Sporting or uh, Porto were interests. But uh, uh, I think is like like I said, being a striker in under 21, but a winger in the Monza team, uh, it's the kind of characteristics that probably the Portuguese teams would not need by now to make a, a, a big a big splash of money on, uh, on Danny Mota. But he's really a very interesting player. And with the characteristics he has, if he keeps playing now that Monza is going to Serie A, I think that uh, he probably be a player with uh, conditions to play in the national team. Uh, let's see if that uh, happens, if he can go to Serie A with Monza and he, he keeps playing also with, uh, with the team. 
As for the the players that are missed in the in the team, I think Ruben Ruben Vinagre is really the most uh, surprising uh, one because uh, he has the level and um, Rui George was uh, thinking of bringing four players that have a stronger right foot than left and Ruben Vinagre could make the, the the difference there. As for Gonzalo Inácio, is a very very good player I think he had a, a place in this team of course but he's also much younger than uh, Diogo Leite and Diogo Queiroz that they made all the games with uh, this generation so I kind of understand that if you have Diogo Leite and Diogo Queiroz that you keep uh, the younger one outside and expect him for next season to be playing. The the risk here is to see something happen as it happened with John Felix and uh, uh, it happened uh, with Nuno Mendes that you see a player who has just a small sprint in the under-21 before going to national team. And uh, Gonzalo Inácio, I think, is reaching that if uh, José Fonte and, and Pep uh, decide to stay out of the national team or if their age increases the problems they could have in the next months, Gonzalo Inácio is clearly the next player that is in the national team pipeline, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Monza, you know, an interesting story, you know, did seem like spent a lot of time not only in the top two, but in first place in Serie B. It uh, looked like they would get automatic, then automatic promotion, then falling to... They failed in playoff, yeah. Right, losing to Citadella in the in the semis with uh, Venezia actually going up. Really excited to see them, but shame that we won't be seeing Monza with uh, Balotelli and Kevin Prince Boateng and, and of course Dani Mota in Serie A next season. But they do. But it's have, a matter of time, I think. It, it is, didn't happen yeah, this right. season, and it's a matter of time. Yeah, that's right. They have something that they have the economic power that a lot of Serie B teams don't have, and so I think that we'll be seeing them. You know make more moves to, to seal it this season. So we'll see what happens. It was a very interesting setup, I thought, from Hui George. Going with the Diamond 442, I believe it's called a Losange in Portugal, right? Uh, a Los, Losange? Losango. 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 Okay. Um, with Daniel Braganza as the holding midfielder, Vitinha and Jetson Fernandes as the interiors, with Bobby Obieda as the 10. Personally, I would have liked to see Florentino Luis in, in that team, but we saw in the second half some interesting moves from Hui George with Romario Barro coming on for Daniel Braganza, uh, Florentino Luis coming on for Gonzalo Ramos, uh, Chico Contesal coming on for Fabio Vieira and getting a goal, Jota uh, as well uh, coming on for Jetson French and getting a goal as well. And uh, interestingly, the, the probably the biggest name of, of maybe even this entire Portuguese team, Rafael Leal, coming off the bench and not making that much of an impact. It just goes to show, I think, how much talent there is in this team. What what are you expecting going into the semifinal against Spain? Uh, do you think Hui George sticks with this team or, or makes any changes? 
I think he probably he probably makes some exchanges because uh, the game will be different. I'm not pretty sure if uh, in this uh, in this match against Spain, if Portugal will be able to get so much possession in the game. I see Florentino coming in because it's very important to keep like the the balance in the in the midfield, and I think he's a, a very important player to be in the team. Yes. Who? It's not easy, but probably for Jetson. I'll see Florentino playing uh, as the defensive midfielder. Daniel Braganza has the conditions to play also like an eight. So it'll be perfect, I think, with Vitinha and Fabio Vieira up front. I see Rui George making this change. And in the front, I don't know if Gonzalo Ramos will keep his place. I liked him yesterday, but probably Diogo Jota also has uh, conditions to to be in the starting 11. The first change, I am pretty sure of that, will happen. Florentino in, probably Jetson out. The second one, I don't know, but I don't see more than two changes in the team. Yeah, I I agree with you here. I mean, Jetson, I'm I'm glad he's done well at Galatasaray. And, uh, you know, it, it looks like he's doing a lot better after that disastrous loan spell at Tottenham. But I personally don't think that if I had to take out a, a player, it would be Jetson, just because he hasn't really impressed me in any of Portugal's four games. And, you know, good player, but I, I think that you have to put in Florentino for him. Fullbacks, it's it's tough. I would have really liked to have Ubin Vinagre in this squad, just because I think he's a better player than Tomas Tavares. And I really don't get why Kui George is so insistent on calling up all these right backs. Um, he had called up, of course, Thierry Correa, but with Correa um, a right back, coming out of the squad due to yeah. COVID, ended up calling in Morenche's uh, Abdu Conte. You know, maybe he goes with Conte instead of Tavares. You know, I don't know. Tavares, uh, another Benfica loanee alongside uh, Jetson, Jota, and Florentino this season. I wasn't that impressed with him at Farenc, and he didn't play that much at Deportivo Alaves did somewhat better at Farange. I think his his better position is at right back. And personally, I just was not that impressed with him. Or or Diogo Leite or Diego, Diogo Queiroz, uh, to be quite honest with you. I thought that those were two of the weakest links, as well as Tavares. And honestly, if it wasn't for a good performance from Diogo Costa in goal, I think that Portugal may have lost this game. You know, we saw a lot of lapses in concentration uh, from this team, especially in defense. And, you know, a normally sturdy center-back pairing with Kados and Leite, who have been playing together for so long, not just with Portugal, but in Porto's youth teams as well. I don't know. I just... I. I can't help but think that Gonzalo Inacio, I, I don't I don't think you can break up that pairing given how much, how well they've done as a pairing, but I just think that maybe having Inacio as backup, it would have provided more competition than Thiago Jalo, who, of course, hasn't played that much at Lille. And I don't know, I, I feel like Inacio can definitely feel hard done. Uh, looking at his seasons, also looking at... Uh, how shaky those two were against Italy. I could potentially see Hui George going with Abdu Conte instead of him. Moving on, though, to, to some players who done very well um, across this tournament. This is just a fantastic Portugal team. And I don't know, it's interesting just watching Portugal and watching France because, you know, France obviously crashed out at the quarterfinals against the Netherlands. We're talking about a team with 
players who are rated at the 30 million, 40 million, 50 million level players such as, you know, Sumare, Ikone, Chouameni, Kakaret, losing in the quarterfinals. And then you look at a Portugal team with so many players who can barely get into their, their parent club, such as Tomas Tavares, such as Diogo Leite, Diogo Costa. Um, I think that the only player from the starters, I think that the only players who've been who've been actually starting at the first team level. I mean, you have Dani Mota in Serie B with Monza. Uh, you have Jetson, who, who joined Galatasaray on loan. Tomas Tavares, who joined Ferenc on loan. And Diogo Dalot, who joined Mil- Milan on loan from Manchester United. Even Diogo Queiroz, who wasn't playing at all at Porto and then uh, went to Famalicao, hasn't been a guaranteed starter there. Th- does this send a message to you that Portuguese the big clubs in Portugal are not taking advantage or, or perhaps not utilizing their youngsters as much as they should be? No, I don't think so. I think it's natural that uh, players have these kind of problems to, to reach the, the teams. Uh, if, you, if you look at uh, players like uh, Daniel Braganza, he was uh, quite used. Uh, Diogo Leite also is not a, a starter player, uh, but uh, he, he played a, a, lot of, a lot of matches. Uh, the same for Thiago Tomás and uh, Conceição that started in the, in the bench. I think the, the explanation here is that Rui Jorge and uh, uh, formation teams in Portugal, they don't follow mainly what happens in the leagues these players are playing, but they follow the idea of creating a team of players that would be able to help national team in the future. So they look at this group of players and they think that in this generation, these players are the stronger to to make the, the next level. As for Ruben Vinagre, I cannot explain what happened. I still see him like a very strong player and a very good player to, to be in a top level. I also know that Rui George is very fond of his uh, group state of mind, you know. He makes uh, the rules. Everybody has to follow those rules. If anyone breaks a rule, he's out. You think that may understand I don't know if it was the case, but uh, I know that these players that are in the European Championship, there are players that Rui George has totally confidence that they would not break any rule during this competition. So that makes something for the future, you know, and uh, probably those uh, criteria were important to, to make some difficult choices because you have really a lot of players that can make this team. You have a lot of young, younger players that are also trying to make their, their place there. And the idea of building a team, the idea of uh, getting this group of players together, it's more important to Rui Jorge that any fact of uh, a good season or a bad season happened during these last months. It's a, a way of work. It, it has been important for Portugal to work like this. You have examples of players like Nuno Mendes or John Felix that they have not many calls during their formation years and then they appear as uh, very important players in, in top teams. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's important uh, to, to have this two possibilities, these two ways of going when you are a a country with so many talented players. Yeah, I I completely agree. 
I do think, though, that I, I, I don't know if George Jesus and Sergio Conceição are doing the best job of handling these young players. Uh, Ruben Amorim has done a good job with players such as Inácio, such as Thiago Tomás, Daniel Berganza. But it's just, it's, it's funny to me how to see Sergio Conceição, it seems like he will renew with Porto at this point. And one of the biggest transfer targets that he's chasing, um, if you believe the rumors, is Philippe Suarez on uh, Modern Age, uh, ex-Benfica player and done quite well in Modern Age. Um, Philippe Suarez was on the bench yesterday, did not play a single minute, uh, whereas you have other players such as Romario uh, Barro, Romario Barro, a Porto player who came through the academy, Fabio Vieira, another player who hasn't really gotten much playing time, both playing in midfield over Suarez. Diogo Leite, of course, been kind of fourth slash fifth choice, gotten more minutes than perhaps some would have expected due to um, Malang Sar being really not that good of a, a of an arrival as expected, as well as Marcano's injury, but still very much fourth, fifth choice. Um, Diogo Queiroz, on the other hand, you know, leaving Porto and joining Famalicão. And of course, Diogo Costa, player who I think will be the long-term, and I hope will be the long-term replacement to Agustin Marquesin um, in goal for the Dragoish. I'm not sure if Conceição and Jesus, uh, despite all their achievements, I'm just, I, I feel like they're not doing as good of a job as, as they should be with these young players what you have to say about their track record with, with youngsters. Yes, with George Jesus, uh, it's not easy to, to find this uh, positive record with uh, young players. He's clearly someone who try, who's all, always trying to search best uh, and experienced players for his teams. And he's, he clearly isn't a, a coach that is prepared or has the interest to grow a young player in his team. I don't see him having this uh, ability to, to do so. So you see this by the case of Gonzalo Ramos mostly because he was in the team, he was playing for the B team during all the season and he clearly is someone who has the conditions to, to play more minutes in Benfica. As for Sergio Conceição, I'm a bit uncertain because at the same time that you can say that these young players don't have those many minutes to, to play, he has a lot of young players in the team and he clearly has one uh, great generation of players coming to the professional team. He's using them and I see players like Fabio Vieira getting more minutes for, for the next season. I see Diogo Leite getting more minutes next season. Chico um, Conceição. Yes, uh, and Chico Conceição also. Chico Conceição is like a small genius too, so uh, I see him really uh, making a part in the, in the next season with Porto. Flip Suarez, the thing is not about his talents or his uh, ability to play in a team like Porto. For me, more the characteristics he has and I don't see the, him playing in a Sergio Conceição sides so I'm not sure if that will happen we'll see probably Eustáquio Stefan Eustáquio coming from Passo Ferreira Bruno Costa is probably also uh, coming back to, to Porto these two I see them getting uh, fit in a Sergio Conceição side for Felipe Soares it's harder to imagine that 
someone has to change and it would not be Sergio Conceição, I think. Does that suggest to you that with Ustakio and Bruno Costa potentially going to Porto um, after their great season at Pasto Chifera, does that suggest to you that Sergio might be switching from that 4-4-2 that we're going to cross them to, to a 4-3-3? I, I see um, Sergio playing a lot of times with a 4-3-3 and I think it's important to him to have a player like Eustachio that will uh, give him the, the conditions to organize uh, in different ways his, uh, his midfield. Uh, you see Uribe, Sergio, Sergio Oliveira, Gruic, none of them played like a, a six or a natural six. Uh, Stefan Eustachio gives him this uh, opportunity to, to change. And I, I see him, especially in Europe, trying to use this uh, third player in the midfield. As for Bruno Costa, he's a very complete player. And I, I think uh, he can also grow to be a very important player in the midfield. Uh, he's a fighter too, so he's clearly the kind of player Sergio Conceição would love to, to have in, in his team. I clearly see those two having some minutes more Bruno Costa. But Stefano Stacchio uh, being used like this uh, joker for uh, some some games. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens um, with those two. But, you know, without further ado, we're going to close out the podcast by taking a look at our Talent of the Week section, where we focus on one player who is either Portuguese or playing in Portugal and who is uh, calling a lot of attention. Uh, so I am going to go with Vitor Ferreira, or Vitinha. Um, Vitinha is another very talented Porto Academy product uh who for me has been the best player of the U21 Euros so far, been just a diamond in this Portugal midfield. Player who didn't really get much in the way of opportunities at, in Porto's first team under Sergio Conceição, joined Wolves on loan last summer and didn't really get much in the way of playing time there. But after his impressive performances, in the U21 Euros group stage, got a lot more game time under Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, playing as kind of a the central attacking midfielder often. Um, and it, it seems likely that Wolves will exercise their 20 million euros purchase option on him if they haven't already. So very interesting playmaker who, I don't know, I, I think that Porto might come to regret letting him leave. I'm not sure if he has the characteristics to, to thrive in a Conceição 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3, but uh, watching him play for his country has been absolutely delightful. And I, I'm really excited to see what happens uh, with, with Vitinha. What do you make of uh, Vitinha, Luis? Oh, Vitinha is a great player. Uh, I think he was taken by Wolverhampton, uh, imagining that he can be like a... João Moutinho of the future and I, th I think they are very right to, to do it. He gave an interview to, if it was Record or O Jogo this, this, this week, uh, saying that he was expecting more minutes uh, at Wolverhampton. It didn't happen this season, but I'm sure that would happen next season because Vitinha is clearly a, a top player and, uh, and I see him grow 
uh, in Premier League and grow to be this uh, uh, João Moutinho of the future because I, I think he, he clearly has the, the conditions to do so. Absolutely, that's a great shout. The potential replacement for João Moutinho, both at club and international level. I really like that. Uh, who is your talent of the week? Well, my talent of the week, I'm going after a player of my home team, the, the team that I support, Touriens, because um, he, he was on loan this season with, uh, with Touriens in the, in the third year. Uh, his name is Ricardinho. During these uh, formation years, he played at uh, Porto and Rio Ave, one of the teams we talked about. <laughs> he, uh, he has a contract with um, uh, Santa Clara, I'm not sure if they uh, are keeping him for the next season, but I hope so because I think he has the conditions to play in the prim in Primera Liga. He made a fantastic season with Turriens. He scored 10 goals. He's a creative midfielder, like a number 10 that can also play uh, starting as a winger. But I clearly see him with conditions to be... Uh, offensive midfielder with a, a lot of quality with the ball and I, I really liked him it was the the player that I liked most watching for Turians this season and he has the name of the star Ricardinho is he has everything to to be uh, in the in a top league so let's expect that things go well for him and uh, next season even if I will miss him at Turians, I hope he'll make it in Primera Liga. The Estrelinha. Um, <laughs> great to see. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Ricardinho potentially playing, you know, European football with, with Santa Clara. Yes, yes. I, I would love to see that happen uh, because he's really a, a talented player. And uh, Santa Clara playing in Europe, of course, they, they'll need more players to rotate their squads. And I think Ricardinho is ready to, to be there. Absolutely. One of, just an absolute honor to speak with you, Luis Cristobal, one of my favorite uh, Portuguese analysts. Uh, where can the listeners find you? Well, they can find me in uh, Twitter or Instagram for uh, f football talk, mostly on Twitter. And uh, if uh, our listeners uh, speak Portuguese, they, of course, are used to listen to um, radio, the Portuguese radio, uh, Antena 1 uh, matches. They are, they are all over the world uh, with the international services. So... Uh, it's a good opportunity to listen to me talking Portuguese about football matches starting next Thursday with uh, Portugal-Spain in under, 20, under 21. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Luis. It was a pleasure, and I really hope to have you on again next season uh, to talk about more Portuguese football. Thank you so much, for everybody, for tuning in, uh, and make sure to like and subscribe to us on our various streaming platforms.